story my father used to tell about uh, his mother, who was who was uh, a very, very, how will I put it, a very assertive woman. Hardworking women who were much more assertive than it now suits us to remember. They had a version of feminism that was quite effective, I assure you. And uh, she had a man cutting hay for her down the field. And this man, who was a bit of a character, he looked up and saw her coming across the field with her arms folded. And it was well known in the family and in the village that if she crossed the field with her arms folded, you did not mess with her. So she arrived at him where he was and he was putting an edge on the scythe. He was cutting with the scythe as they used to at the time. And he told the story himself later. And she said to him, we'll be in the top meadow tomorrow, Tom. And it wasn't really a question. And uh, somebody asked him, what did you say to her? I edged, he said, and I edged slow. Became a saying in our village. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Father Brendan Kilcoyne, coming to you from Athenry County, Galway, courtesy of Immaculata Productions, purveyors of fine, fine film to the aristocracy and the gentry. No, we're really seriously an impoverished uh, group of struggling, tormented, brilliant, ingenious artists yet to be discovered, but gradually breaking onto the scene. And if you want, you can make a fortune by patronising us while we're still poor. Hit the subscribe button without delay. Get on that Patreon and transfer your life savings to us. You'll dine out on it later, I assure you. Where was I? Ah, yes, edging slow. Became a bit of a saying in our village. A way of dealing with a very dominating personality, a kind of work to rule, if you like. What am I going to talk about now? Vocations. Why am I talking about putting an edge on a scythe some 70 or 80 years ago? Because that's what I did in my vocation. I edged real slow. I went to Maynooth when I was 17. Uh, I met some fine people there. And I'm, I will always be in debt to one or two people there. I've said that before. But it was a strange time, difficult time in my own, my own life. And a, a strange time in the church's history. A time when the whole tremendous edifice of Irish Catholicism had been celebrated just shortly before in 1979 with the, with the uh, visit of, of Pope St. John Paul II. And um, looking back, that was really a wake, wasn't it? For Catholic Ireland, which gradually began to disintegrate in the 80s, something which accelerated in the 90s. I wasn't happy, a lot of it my own fault. Um, left after five years, taught in Dublin for four, spent two of them teaching in a Church of Ireland boarding school in Dublin. And I have the, the warmest memories of those two years and the kindness I received. Went back sullenly. I left because I was, I was finding it very difficult to pray. I was finding it very difficult to come to terms with God. And I haven't had an easy journey in that. In the years I was out, I tried hard to be an atheist. I worked really hard at it. 
I felt I had failed in my faith, I had failed in my vocation and I wanted to put it away from me. And I tried to turn against God. I stopped going to Mass. I, I stopped praying. All the rest of it. You know the drill. I don't know that Irishmen of my generation are very good at being atheists. Perhaps that's a patronising comment. But I know that I wasn't much good at it. I couldn't get him out of my head. I don't know any other way of putting this. Okay, I know I sound like Cut Price Flannery O'Connor, but I could not get this lunatic out of my head. And like a character in Flannery O'Connor, I could see him sometimes in the trees, running from tree to tree like a... I don't know. He wouldn't leave me alone. He wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't fulfil me. Tricky place to be. I think probably most people who take their faith seriously and one of my few saving graces has been that I actually did take it seriously. Because when I left they weren't expecting me to leave and people were surprised. And they were surprised when I went back. It, he, I, I just couldn't get rid of him. That's the best I can tell you. Oh, God knows I tried. I did try. I couldn't get rid of him. And I couldn't get rid of the faith. And I'll tell you what brought me back to God most. And you're, some of you are going to be scandalised by this. Because it's so fashionable now to bash institutions. It was the church that brought me back to him. The scarlet woman. The great lady of the night of Babylon. So it was she who brought me back to him. The church. Vast. Ancient. Complex. Corrupt permanently banjaxed, permanently dying of the same heart attack. The bride of Christ. Poor Christ. It was she who brought me back. Fag hanging out of her mouth and looking the worse for wear, as she always does. But it was she who brought me back. So, my vocation, I, I, I'm sorry to, to land this on you because you'll probably want to hear that I'm a very spiritual person and I don't need institutions and I freed myself of all that. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know, I went off and spent time in a Nashram and Blasket or something, then came back. I was brought back by the church and, and I'm going to scandalise you even more. I was brought back by the Irish church. Doer, rain-sodden, wind-blown, corrupt, mildly psychotic. I was brought back by the Irish Church. <sighs> She's some girl. And I can never fail to be grateful for that. So... I said to you before, I'm not a good priest, but I am a priest. That's what I came back to. That's what I gave my life to. I finished my studies in Rome. I was ordained in the little church I served Mass in, in Killing, the half-parish of Lewisburg in County Mayo, on the 5th of July, 1992. The day I was ordained, a friend who couldn't make it to the ordination rang me. A very, a very warm friend rang me and was slagging me probably because I was a bit nervous. And he said, can we not even at this late stage spare the church and persuade you not to go ahead? He said, I don't think we can handle this. And, and, and so the joke went. But that was the year Bishop Casey went. It was the year the whole thing started to, well, 
you know. I love the church. I love God, I'm afraid of God. I love Christ and I'm afraid of him. But strangely, I'm not afraid of the church. I love her. I love this great big ramshackle, seedy, shabby, elegant, doors that don't quite hang properly anymore, floors that creak. I love the warren, the enormous mansion of God on earth. That is the church, one, holy, Catholic and apostolic. That's the address. That's what I came back to. That's what I am. And I felt called to come back to that. How did the call come? I didn't have some mystical experience I can point to, as some people did. I envy them. I'm not being dismissive of that. I envy it. I would have loved to see the vision in Knock. I would have loved to go up the mountain in Medjugorje, as people, people I, I know and knew did, go up the mountain with some problem that that takes ages to solve in normal course and come back down the mountain with the problem solved. Such as addiction or this or that or the other. Such as a complete lack of faith. No, no. With me it's happened slowly, it's happened dribble, drabble. It's a bit like, as Des Bishop, the comedian, would say, the miserable dribble, drabble of an Irish shower. Okay, I suppose it's, you know the Amer- an American shower is a serious affair. It nearly pick you up and throw you out the window. Like, no, it was it was it was undramatic. That was my story. It <laughs> it was as undramatic as a as a wet day in Ireland, and that was how my vocation came back. I have no regrets. I I I'm almost thirty years a priest, and I have I can tell you with my hand on my heart. I can swear to you, I have not one regret about doing it. I know you don't believe me, but I want to have my say. It's my day in court. I wanted to say it and I've said it. But I I feel like Patrick Pierce. I squandered the splendid years that the Lord God gave to my youth in attempting impossible things, deeming them alone worth the toil. And then he goes on in the poem, The Fool. Lord, if I had the years, I would squander them again. I fling them from me. And I would. So I want to say to any of you out there who think you might have a vocation, you have my commiserations. Sorry for your trouble. It's a tough one. If he puts his hand on you, it's a tough one. To paraphrase the Beatles, uh, he's the hurting kind. It's, it's, uh, it's an incredible relationship, the relationship with God. It's fraught, it's difficult, it's... It's wrestling with the angel, wrestling with God. But if you are called to that, and some people are called to it to a remarkable extent. Look at Carlo Acutis, who was recently beatified, died at the age of 15 of leukemia, a saint. Well, he'd be almost certainly canonized. He hasn't been, in fairness, he hasn't been, but he's beatified. He calls everyone, but some people he calls in very particular ways. So if he calls you, as he is calling you to a life of love and faithfulness, that'll be a roller coaster 
that'll be hard, it'll be expensive, but it's worth it. If you're living the life of faith, you have stepped into one of those shops in which really if you have to ask the price, there's no point. It's not the kind of shop that is much in the window. That should have told you enough. The lack of prices, the fiendishly, poisonously expensive look of the few things that you can see, the well-dressed assistance. Come on. Either you, either you have it to spend going in there or it's best to go for a coffee. You have answered him or begun to answer him. It's an expensive shop you're in. And let me tell you something else. But it takes a long time for us to realise this. You can afford it. Because spiritually speaking, in the only way that really in the end means anything, you're loaded. You have the merits of Jesus Christ to spend like a fool. And indeed, what God does, but it takes us sometimes a lifetime to understand it, is put into our hands his credit card and say, will you take that off and let off a bit of pressure on it? Spend a bit of that. Hmm? Spread a bit of hope, a bit of love. If you become a priest, you stand at the centre of that mystery. That is what I wanted to do. I wanted it more than the young Yates wanted to be a magician and ended up being a great poet and in his own words being able to summon words at his beck and call as if they were dogs to his heel. I wanted to stand at the doors of the tabernacle. I wanted to whisper the sacred words into the dark, like the Jewish high priest, who was the only one who could go in beyond the curtain to the Holy of Holies with a rope tied to his ankle, because if he died in there, nobody would go in after him. So they could pull him back out. And he would go in and scatter the blood from the sacrifice on the floor of the Holy of Holies, and he would whisper into the dark the sacred name of God, which nobody else knew how to pronounce. I wanted to do that. If you're going to say to me, but didn't you become a priest to change the world and help the poor? I became a priest to say Mass and all that comes from the Mass. What you're talking about comes from the Mass. Helping the poor materially is one form of their spending time at the table of the Lord in this life. Every single thing we do is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single thing we do. If you're discerning a vocation, have I any advice to you? Well, if you're doing like me, you're edging slow. You're taking your time. You're resenting any pressure. You're very conscious of how unworthy your blade is for the job. You're, you're edging slow. You're cautious and sullen and sulky. Fine, you edge as slow as you want. But sooner or later you must take up that side, my friend, and you must walk into the fields of God. And you must start to cut corn. And there is enough corn standing in those fields to make a farmer stand and cry. And it's rotting in the fields 
because the harvesters are not there. If you're called to the priesthood, if you're called to the religious life, if you're called to a, to be a, a dedicated layperson serving the church in some highly specialised vocation, communications, for instance, or what have you, edge as slow as you want, but get the job done. And you can't do it without him. You cannot comprehend the job you have to do without negotiating with the owner of the field. Why are you there? What are you doing? For whom? That's why I became a priest. I became a priest to watch him cross the field towards me with his arms folded. His fields. I work for him. I'm a bonded man. I've given everything for that. I couldn't marry, I couldn't have kids. And I don't count it. And I'm a selfish man. And a flawed man. And a broken man. And yet I don't count it. If he's calling you, please, for the love of God, literally, for the love of God, for the love of the church, who needs you, will you please finish putting an edge on that side? and get on with the work. God bless you. God direct your prayers and your considerations. And God bring plenty of you to our side, rolling up their sleeves, leaping the fence, jumping the ditch to come in and help us with the hay. And may Almighty God bless you and yours, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.